Welcome to Oppenheimer's Let's Talk Future podcast. In this format, we bring you timely and relevant conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Join us as we explore new ways of thinking about the markets, investing, business, new technologies, and life in general. In this episode, our guest is Bhupesh Parikh, Managing Director and Senior Analyst of the Consumer Sector of Oppenheimer. And our host is Joan Corey, Managing Director and Chief Marketing Officer of Oppenheimer. This episode was recorded on January 11, 2021. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to click on the subscribe button. I'm Joan Corey, Chief Marketing Officer at Oppenheimer & Company. In this Let's Talk Future episode, I'm pleased to have a conversation with Rupesh Parikh. Rupesh is a Managing Director and a Senior Analyst covering the consumer sector. He oversees the food, grocery, and consumer product sectors at Oppenheimer. He examines trends that affect when, what, and how consumers purchase products and services that are a part of their everyday lives. Previously, Rupesh covered names in the hard lines retail sector, such as Home Depot, Lowe's, and Best Buy. Rupesh has a unique perspective and his coverage includes interrelated areas and companies, such as foods, including plant-based foods, grocers, beauty, pets, and health and wellness. If we had to sum it up, these categories have demonstrated tremendous shifts as we have all cooked and eaten at home almost exclusively. We've all shopped very differently. We've loved our pets, and if we didn't have one, we probably adopted one. We focused on our health and wellness, and our beauty care became more about self-care. Today, we are focusing on just how our lives have changed, especially during this pandemic. We'll discuss three interrelated topics, our food, our health and wellness, and our pets. Welcome, Rupesh. Thanks, Joan. It's great to be here. So let's just start with a big picture question. We as consumers may be influenced and motivated to try new products, to try new services, or even to try a brand new category of products if it fulfills a real need that we all have. In your five to 10 years covering and analyzing consumers, talk to us about the biggest change that you're seeing and give us some color around that. Yeah, so from my perspective, if you really looked at the past five to 10 years, the biggest change is how consumers shop and the transformation of the digital experience. So we've seen online takeoff really across every vertical we cover. So if you look at the beauty category, if I go back to Ulta, back to 2009, 2010, online was just one to 2% of sales. And prior to the pandemic, it grew to low low double digit rate. And we actually forecast this year, online sales at Ulta could represent 25% of the business. You've really seen dramatic increases in penetration as consumers have migrated to the online channel. And in the past, when consumers used to go and buy products online, it's all about being, you know, going to find a cheaper price, the convenience, or even getting a bigger selection. So today, I think retails are really creating, truly creating unique and immersive digital experiences. So we say with the beauty category, so in beauty, for example, if you go onto Ulta's website today, they have virtual try-ons. So if you want to try on makeup, 
false lashes, even hair color. So if you want to see what pink hair color looks like on your hair, you can actually do that online. So it's actually a better experience, I would say, in some ways online versus in store. And then suppliers such as Estee Lauder are trying to recreate the department store experience. So instead of going in store and going to that virtual counter, you can now actually set up one-on-one -on -one Zoom tutorials with their consultants. And what they'll do is you can tell them all your preferences, what's in your makeup bag right now, and they'll actually suggest products that you can buy. And they'll also give you a tutorial how to actually use the product. So, so I think that's how online is changing is retailers are now focusing on replicating the in-store experience. And I, I think that's the future from here. That's so interesting, especially as you talk about hair color. I'm sure there's many people who went onto those websites to take a look at that. And, you know, kind of maybe talking about food a little bit, because, you know, the way that people have had to shop and what they've shopped for in terms of food, I think, has also changed and big shifts in consumer patterns. And I think food is both essential, obviously, for all of us, but it also serves a dual purpose. It, it is an activity that can be a passion and a hobby. And it's also when we all have a communal experience together, sharing a meal so that it becomes, you know, even more. So talk to us a little bit about how people are, you just talked about makeup and wellness and things like that, but how people are shopping for food, where they're shopping, what they're buying and what they're putting into their physical or even their digital cart. Yeah. So if you, if you look at food, there's really, I would say there's been two global trends from a shopping perspective. So prior to the pandemic, you saw consumers going to these big box conventional grocery stores. You know, let's just say your 60,000 square foot stop and shop or shop right. Consumers have been going less to the stores over the years. They've been going more to alternative channels, such as a club channel, Costco, BJ, Sam's Club. Dollar stores have really proliferated around the country. So today, Dollar General has more than 17,000 stores around the U.S. So that channel has been growing very quickly. And then even these specialty channels, so Whole Foods, uh, Trader Joe's, Rouse Farmers Market, Natural Grocers, they've been popping up throughout the U.S. So you've seen a lot of growth in these channels coming at the expense of more of your conventional grocers, which have been shrinking across the U.S. And online has also started to come on the scene. And I think with the pandemic, it's, it's really accelerated. So we've talked a lot about online. So I started covering the space in 2014. And Amazon Fresh was, you know, at that point, they were just starting to talk about that, that concept. And, you know, when I would go and speak with Walmart and Kroger and some of the retailers, they basically said, you know, delivery is, you know, we're experimenting in Denver, in the Denver market, but it's just an experiment. You know, we don't, we don't really think it's going to work because you can't deliver grocery foods and make money. And that was the view in 2014. And even as last year, to start the year, you know, most people thought grocery penetration, you know, it was around 3%, maybe it gets to 10% within five years. And guess what? You know, 2020, you're already at that 10% online penetration. And what's really changed is so the pandemic has spurred uh, consumer adoption. But it's also a retailer. So, you know, throughout the US, you now have curbside pickup in every market and delivery where people thought it couldn't be done uh, because, you know, consumers don't want to pay shipping and it's just very costly. Guess what? We now have free two hour delivery from Amazon Prime in a number of markets. So, retailers have enabled consumers to be able to, to do delivery and curbside in many cases free. So, you've really seen that, that penetration take off. So, if I look, at the, you know, if I look at the next step, so similar to beauty, right? So initially people went for beauty, they went there for price and convenience and same thing for grocery, you maybe go for price and convenience, but I think, I think going forward, you're going to see a much more immersive digital experience. So, you know, whether it's digital coupons, right? So we just all get those circulars, you know, we have companies like Sprouts that actually stopped mailing out circulars this past year. And it's all, you can only get them digital, um, digital coupons, same thing. 
So as the experience moves to more digital media, they can actually track all our behavior, they can get all our data, and they can actually send us more personalized communications based on what we're buying. So, I, so just like these other channels, I think the grocery store experience, again, I, I think it's personally fun in store, but I think it's also more immersive and exciting online. And, you know, I, I'm a person that tr likes some of the latest products. So, you know, plant-based foods, Beyond Meat, Impossible Foods, I've tried a number of their products. So, uh, so in the future, you know, to the extent that I'm buying these plant-based products, they're going to know that information. So if a new variety comes out, they can send me a personalized email coupon or reach me directly that way. So for me, I'm, I'm getting the, the emails that I want. Um, and then for, for retailers, if they're sending the right products, it can actually drive demand. So, um, so that's an example of how this could all come together down the road. You know, I'm so glad that you brought uh, plant-based meat. Um, and thank you for also helping me to adopt a little bit to plant-based meat. I think you've been talking about this food category, I guess we could call it, for some time. And all of a sudden, it has really come into its own as a true food group almost. Can you walk us through a little bit about that evolution of the plant-based food category, any innovation that you're seeing there, and just a little bit about the marketplace you're talking about, people's health and wellness, and this is you know part and parcel of that as well. Yeah, so if, you, if you look at plant-based, so we actually started covering the space in 2014, a company called White Wave Foods made plant-based milks under the, the silk brand. So if your almond milk, your soy milk, your coconut milk, that eventually spread into the yogurt category. So it really took off in the dairy category. And now we've seen plant-based really proliferate, you know, many other categories. And so we do cover beyond meat. And I think meat is really that next big opportunity for the plant-based category. And if you, if you think of what's attracting consumers, it's really two main reasons. One is health and the second is environment. So the millennial and Gen Z consumers, they're very conscious of the, the environment. So to produce meat, it requires a significant use of our uh, natural resources, land, water, et cetera. So it's good for the environment to not consume meat. Um, and then from a health perspective, uh, plant-based is perceived as healthier than the alternatives. So, so I think the, the health and environmental reasons are one of the key drivers for the category. And if you think of plant-based on the meat side, the meat category is, is gigantic. So if you look in the U.S., meat is around $270 billion in size. So over time, if, if plant-based becomes just 10% of the category, that's a $27 billion opportunity. And what you're seeing right now in the landscape is if you look at Beyond Meat and even Impossible Foods, they've really proliferated all the grocery chains. So you can find Beyond Meat today at Costco, Whole Foods, Kroger, and all, all, all the mainstream retailers. Impossible Foods is coming in the same outlets as well. So now it's available at retail. The burger products, and now these now these suppliers are focusing on other categories. So not they they don't want just the burger category. They're looking at bacon. They're looking at chicken. They're looking at pork. So I envision in the future you're gonna have an entire refrigerator of all these plant based products of these different forms. And that same consumer that's buying the burger product will eventually go and try these other products. And you know I, I think that's what drives the higher household penetration over time. And I'm not sure, you know, I know, Joan, you're going to be able to sample some of the products, but these are these products are very similar to the meat equivalent. So so even, you know, for that meat eater that wants to eat the meat product, but wants something healthier, they may want to well, choose for this for this healthier alternative. And the other part that I think that's very interesting about this category is food service operators. So think of Yum Brands, uh, Starbucks, McDonald's. They're heavily playing in this category. So McDonald's at their analysts day last year announced McPlant product, which is a plant-based burger that they're going to launch in the U.S. Starbucks has a breakfast sausage product. Dunkin' Donuts has a breakfast sausage product. Even Pizza has a sausage topping product that they just launched. 
So I think as consumers try this in food service, that's just going to you know further expand the category and, and household penetration over time. So yeah, we're personally very excited about this category, and I think it's one to watch. And if you haven't tried the product, I think I think it's um, I think it's you know products that you definitely want to try. And to follow up on that, I have read so much research has gone into how the product is actually made, so that there's a lot that it really. You almost can't tell the difference in terms of the texture, in terms of the color, in terms of the smell. So there's been quite a bit of innovation in the space. And I think you see that there will be even more coming forward. Yeah. So from a technology perspective, so if, if you think of like the beef category, for example, they already got ground beef, right? So they can very easily develop the plant-based ground beef. But when you go into more complicated cuts, like a steak, for example, the technology is not there yet. So that's, we'll see if they can get there, but that's where the investment right now is to move past the basic products and move to the more the sophisticated uh, cuts down the road. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Let's talk about our pets. Let's change gears and talk about pets because this is a category that I know that you enjoy covering as well. And I would say that we all love our pets. We pamper our pets. And if we didn't have one before this pandemic, many of us have rescued one. Um, beyond companionship, pets do contribute to our physical and psychological health and wellness as well. Again, sort of an interrelated category. But tell us a little bit about this category. What surprises you? What's happening in the market and some trends for the future? Yeah, so 2020 has been a very positive for the pet category. You saw a significant increase in pet adoptions during the pandemic where, you know, consumers were not able to get the pets that they want. And, you know, being able to be home, it's easier to train and take care of a new pet. So I think that that was one of the, the key drivers. And really, I mean, this is this this category is just you know, seeing really explosive growth this year because of all the pet adoptions. And as people are home, you know, they want to uh, you know buy more products for their pets. And over the years, you've had this humanization of pet trend where where consumers treat their pets like humans. So they've been buying more and more premium products. And this year you've seen the same trend. You know, so we, we started the dog food, dog and cat food category, and the premiumization has really taken off this year. So a company called Fresh Pet makes fresh dog and cat food. And their growth rate, this year they grew their business around 40% year over year, just to give you an idea. So consumers, you know, so fresh product, just like for human, the perception is that fresh is healthier than processed or of your center store foods. So consumers and millennials have been buying more of these fresh products because they perceive it as healthier for their pets. I visited their facilities and, you know, when I've toured it, this, the former CEO would tell me like, you know, you'd open the bag and say, hey, we'd like to try the product because it's, it really is human quality. And, you know, he would open the bag and start eating it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they put chicken, turkey, cranberries. So, yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very appetizing. So, you know, it's almost like a turkey dinner on turkey. So, um, yeah, so this is a company that's done great. It's expensive. The pets love it. I mean, once they have it, they don't want anything else. So it's a... <laughs> they can tell their preferences. They can tell their owners their preferences. I think if I had to look at all the holiday cards that I received this year, I think pets were in most every single one of them. So you are right. They are treating, they are treated like a member of the family. So now that you have this bigger base of pets out there, you know, so they're buying more treats or buying more toys, and you're seeing more focus on services. So we also cover Walmart. They actually announced an initiative late last year where they're launching more pet care services. So right now they offer pet insurance, the pharmacy, uh, but now they're getting into pet sitting, dog walking. So everyone sees this big opportunity and they want this younger millennial Gen Z consumer. So I think pet, just like plant-based, I think is going to be a very exciting space, 
even even in 2021 and beyond. Interesting, very interesting. Let's go back and talk a little bit about health and wellness and, and beauty. I think that we, we talked about food and kind of moving to plant-based food and how we're shopping, a little bit about, you know, the beauty category, pets in terms of being our companions. And we've all, I think, through this period of time, become much more conscious and taken greater responsibility for our, our own health and wellness. We're all, I think, wearing digital devices and looking at, you know, the proliferation of apps that help us stay fit because we aren't able to go to to gyms. But there are other products and services in this category that are also experiencing some change and market share growth. Can you walk us through those? Yeah, so we've seen, yeah, health and wellness really take take off across our portfolio. So I think the supplement vitamin category is a great example. So, you know, prior to the pandemic, you know, not everyone took their vitamins all the time. And during the pandemic, we have companies that make gummy vitamins where they couldn't make enough vitamins to keep up with demand. So I think the gummy vitamin category is up more than 50% this year, 50%. So you've just seen incredible growth because, yeah, consumers are really focused on their health. So with the coronavirus, you know, there's recommendations out there to take vitamin D in sync. And, you know, the, the view is that you want to have a strong immune system. You've seen all these consumers go into the category. I think it's going to be very sticky coming out of the pandemic because once you form a habit now, you know, we're going to be in this pandemic for a year. You're more likely to stick with the habit coming coming out of the pandemic. So vitamins have been extremely hot. And then other areas that you may not think about, too, which is, you know, you've seen st- strong trends as well. People want, you know, so we cover a company that makes thermometers, humidifiers, water filtration, air filtration, thermometers, everyone, you know, everyone's buying thermometers, same thing. They can't keep up with demand for thermometers right now. You know, before it was one of those products, when you get sick, you're going to go buy a thermometer. Now, I think people are going to keep them on hand and make sure they're prepared, you know, going forward in the future. So, but in general, yeah, I think consumers are much more conscious of their health. And I think it's going to lead to lasting changes going forward in terms of how they focus on this category. And humidifiers, it used to be the big scale humidifiers. Now there's office-sized ones, right? Everybody is is thinking about keeping their air clean, you know, all the things that they can do as well to protect themselves and stay healthy. Yeah, uh, yep, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I think that um, let's talk a little bit about clean beauty, which is a new sort of category where I think this is where there's truly a generation gap in terms of beauty products. Yesterday's natural is not necessarily what today's natural is. And there's been a whole shift and change about clean beauty and the products you mentioned a few of them earlier, but can you break it down for us and talk a little bit about what's happening in this category as well? Yeah. So similar to the ingredients that you want to feed your pets, what we, for ourselves, you know, consumers are more concerned about ingredients that go on their body. Now there's more concerns that on ingredients that go on your skin and there's concerns on the environment. So clean beauty is really not defined out there. So if I look at the natural organic sector a few years ago, organic, there's certifications for what organic means, but natural, even today, a lot of people say products are natural, but there's no definition. So clean beauty is very much in that camp that you'll have Sephora, Ulta, Estee Lauder talk about clean beauty products, but it's not really defined. So different brands have different versions of what they view as clean, but generally it means products that are considered human and environmental, environmentally friendly using non-toxic elements or, or, plant, or using plant-based ingredients. And some ingredients that are considered more toxic are power bins, certain fragrances, sodium sulfate, formaldehyde. So if you go into Sephora or even retail, they'll say this section right here is free from these ingredients. This is really taking off right now. I mean, it's more expensive products. And 
you know, I think consumers are now starting to become aware of these ingredients. So I think just like natural organic, as consumers become aware of the ingredients, they're going to be willing to pay more of a premium. So I think this category is still very much in its early infancy. I mean, if you go into Ulta, it's really, it feels like one little gondola of this product. But I think over time, it just grows in more and more importance. And I think retailers will be able to command higher prices for products that consumers trust. And so I think we're still in the very early innings of, of this movement. And I think skincare, I think you've seen more traction than the makeup. Uh, but I think, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I think makeup will also take off as people start to go out again. A lot of new names, a lot to watch for in that category. Let's go back and talk a little bit about experience and how we're shopping across all these categories. You have definitely talked about the digitization and the personalization and companies have really had to adopt not only their store operations, but their supply chains have been retrofitted. They have repositioned existing products. They marketed their the cleanliness of their store environments and safer space. We talked about delivery. Drones are probably right around the corner. So talk to us about what we're learning coming out of this and what companies and supply chains are doing for as we hopefully exit the pandemic, what will stick? Yeah, so I, I, you know, at first I, I think my companies, my grocers and suppliers have just done an absolutely, you know, exceptional job in meeting all the consumer demand, you know, during the pandemic. You know, groceries a business that grows two to 4% a year. And last March, you literally had 30% increases during the month. And they were very nimble. You know, they, they reached out to food service providers. So if, you know, if you had meat that was going to food service, they brought it into the grocery stores and cut it up just so you can serve it at retail. So they were able to, you know, I would say relatively quickly fill their shelves and meet consumer demand out there. And at the same time, you know, you look at a Costco back then, they were like cleaning every car, limiting consumers, you know, making people wear masks. So I think they they did a great job, you know, in, in keeping us safe and going to grocery stores, or at least the best that they can do. So I think the big learning coming out of the pandemic, you know, over the years, Walmart and others, it was all about reducing working capital. Uh, keeping everything more efficient, like just-in-time deliveries. Going to Walmart later on Saturday, there'd be nothing on a shelf in a normal, you know, pre-pandemic. So I think one of the big learnings is you got to have a safety stock out there. Uh, there's no safety stock during this pandemic where the entire supply chain was depleted by one month of a 30% increase in sales. So I, I think that's that's probably one of the big learnings. And you know, with this, with this pandemic. You know, there's a risk, of, you know, we could get more down the road. So I think there's going to be better coordination in terms of how to handle this. I think one of the early learnings was you got to have supply limits on the products or then consumers will end up stocking up. And they learned from March what consumers did. So when meat, when there's concerns about meat supply going away, they started putting limits in the summer. And guess what? That worked. So we never had any shortages in meat. So I think that was an important learning. And I'll say here, the real winners, you know, if you, if you look at what has happened the last several months, I mean, the real winners coming out of the pandemic, we think are Costco. Target and Amazon, um, I think all three were the ones that were able to handle, I don't know, 20, 30, 40% type increases in demand for parts of the pandemic. And I think, you know, next year, consumers are going to remember those companies that they're able to get the cons- products that they want, uh, whether through, you know, e-commerce, curbside, or even even in store. So I think those retailers are going to be able to capitalize on uh, really the strong execution that, th- that they've had during the pandemic. I always like to understand how analysts are thinking about the future. And as we are having, you and I are having this conversation, I think the next normal is hopefully almost upon us. No one, I don't think, really knows what is going to happen tomorrow. But I'd love to know what you're thinking about, what you expect, and just anything futuristic. Yeah, so the the new normals is a big, I would say, is a big debate out there. I think the general thought out there is, uh, at least through the middle of, let's say, June, July, you're still going to have 
these trends are seeing right now continue um, at, at some elevated level. Uh, but I think that the real variable, which everyone's trying to figure out, is what happens with work from home. So work from home has really been driving a lot of trends out there, especially for food, because people have been eating a lot more at home. So if you know if, if these office workers are not going to be going back to the office, I think you know my grocers will see more of a permanent increase in demand. And I think for other verticals, that could have significant implications. So if you're going to be working from home, you're probably not going to be wearing as much makeup. So I mean that's that that's a negative for for that category. So I think work from home is by far one of the key variants. And then with this vaccine, how effective is it? So I think there's also a debate. Um, what will normal behavior look like? You know, July, do we all stop wearing masks and go back to normal? So I think that's that's a big determinant out there. And I would say the last element is online. I mean, you know, so going back to my example earlier, you look at Ulta, they had about 12% penetration um, online. We think this year it could be 25%. Uh, but what if it's 30, 35%? So if you're in Ulta and that big, you know, 30 to 35% is online, but what do you do with all these stores and what happens to your profitability? So I think that part is is making it very difficult to plan right now is is what is permanent versus temporary. And you look at my stocks, the stock market right now, there's there's a lot of volatility and investors are debating every day I mean, what's permanent, what's temporary. And I think at least in my group, I think it's gonna be a more volatile year this year, just given some of these some of these variables. But for us, work from home is what we're watching most closely. And besides the vaccines, is uh, what happens with the work from home. Well, I think before we end this episode, I think we both want to express our gratitude, everyone who works in these industries, especially the food and grocer category. I think that these industries really were so essential to all of us, making sure that we did have a safe food supply. And as we went through an unprecedented time, and these were you know, many people who were working very diligently every single day and some dark times. So I think a shout out and thanks to that industry. I echo those comments. And I would just say, you know, even today, my retailers, Costco, Kroger, Walmart, they're now stepping up on the vaccine front too. So I think they're going to be key players in helping society return back to normal over time. So it's just been absolutely incredible what these companies have been able to accomplish. And I think what they're doing right now on the vaccine front to help us get back to normal society. So Rupesh, thank you so much uh, for giving us your perspective on really the giant movements that are happening in the consumer category, the movement to, to digital and how it shop, what we eat, how we love our pets and how we manage our health and wellness. Thanks, Joan, for having me here. It's been great talking to you on Let's Talk Future. Don't miss the next episode of Let's Talk Future as we explore a variety of market-moving ideas and perspectives, bringing our firm's financial thought leaders directly to you. Hit the subscribe button now.